Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are the Lib Slayers, Tony and Clem. Our mission, as always, is to bring global awareness to the general public while exposing the legacy media and its demonic globalist overlords. How are you doing today, Clem? I'm excellent today, Tony. Well, last show, Clem, we uh, touched on with the recent hysteria with the school shootings, the, the new assault on the Second Amendment and everyone's right to bear arms. We touched on how in our time we have an example with the Bundy Ranch incident of Americans exercising their right to bear arms to back up their right to free speech. But we also touched earlier that there was a certain scandal going down in the media just prior to this shooting exploding and overtaking all political commentary. Anything you want to follow up on a recap that's going to lead us into today's show, which I believe is going to be very powerful. Thank you, Tony. And, you know, I think that what we saw happen was over the last few months, there has been a narrative building that's going to prove to be very toxic to the Democrat media complex and the Democrats and the prior administration. Uh, you know, if you if you voted for Obama twice and you voted for Clinton and then you signed on to this Russia, Russia, Russia narrative uh, for over a year now, heading into, you know, 18 months, uh, it's a bunch of crap. And it's crap that's been you know, germinating the story that was just starting to take uh, real root in the in the in the in the larger Democrat media complex, and I think the truth behind that story about what was occurring uh, in the last days of the election uh, is is about to become just even more inevitable, and it's just going to be uh, almost impossible for the the Democrat media complex to continue its shenanigans and uh, and cover these truths up, which are going to be pretty toxic for them. Exactly, and uh, for that exact reason, we have brought in the Lib Slayers political researcher, Mike on the mic, uh, to give us an in-depth breakdown from the beginning of why this scandal is as powerful as it is and why the media was desperate, desperate to make sure the narrative changed to get everyone thinking back on something that we've all been talking about before and to mask over this scandal of epic proportions. So how are you doing today, Mike? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. So take your time. The floor is yours. Break down this Gordian knot of connections that brings us to uh, the point we're at today. All right. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get to us all the way to today, um, but I'm definitely going to look at kind of like a sky view or what I would like to say is just everyone needs to just take a break. Look where we're at in this situation. How are we even in this situation? Um, and it's a lot better than people people realize. So we need to kind of go back to the beginning uh, to see how this amazing cataclysmic earth-shattering event, the election of Donald Trump, actually transpired. And where I would start, and I, I guess I would say the co the co-theme of my a little statement here would be, thank God for establishment Democrats. Uh, because, not because they wanted to, um, but they were key in allowing the uh, resurgence of America. So I'm going to go back to the 2008 race. And when you actually think about the 2008 race, that was Hillary Clinton's first coronation. It was the media was hers, Clinton machine was all-time powerful, and uh, kind of out of nowhere, 
this upstart named Barack Obama, a two-year senator from the state of Illinois, uh, no real prominence. He did have a, <clears throat> he did have a speech at the Democratic National Committee, which kind of launched him into the spotlight, which he then used, him and his people, used to propel him to the actual presidency, which is actually in itself a pretty amazing story. So if we go back to that race, you know, again, it was Hillary's first coronation. Barack comes out of nowhere from Illinois, and he starts like what Bernie Sanders did to her. He gets the youth vote. He gets the following. He starts winning primaries and the Clintons are viewed as vulnerable for the first time. It's in this race that something is discovered or maybe a rumor is created that ends up helping, or Don Trump ends up using years later uh, to help himself. So let's look at it. There was a former CIA guy who was uh, Clinton-connected. He ran a, I think he still runs the blog. It's called No Quarter USA. His name's Larry Johnson. He first teased throughout that entire election campaign cycle um, that there was something about Barack Obama that's going to come out. It's going to destroy him. It's going to weaken him. It's going to basically make it so he's ineligible uh, to become president. Think of this almost as like the uh, Trump dossier, only for Obama. And the difference is uh, no media organization ends up printing it after he becomes president, as it's done with Donald. So many speculate that it's actually the Clinton camp uh, who is the ones who come up with this uh, Obama birth certificate story. And there's a lot of smoke behind the fire, and some people have done a lot of research. Um, and it's a reason to su suspect there's more than just um, a fake rumor there. So this guy Larry Johnson keeps teasing about it. He's bragging about it. He's saying it's going to come out, but it never does. Maybe the Clintons saw the writing on the wall, and Obama was just going to be too much of a force to stop in that election cycle. So they, what I would speculate is that they recalculated and said, um, okay, we'll use this kind of stuff we have on Obama to blackmail him and to end up creating the co-presidency, um, which, is, which is what happened with Obama and Hillary Clinton. She became honest Secretary of State. You can look at this as essentially fatally weakening Obama from the get-go, kind of showing that she's in charge. On top of that, um, Obama was elected on a message of change. Things are going to be different. And when you look at what's one of the first things he did and the establishment made him do was send 40,000 troops to Afghanistan. And hey, hey, Mike, these if, I, if I can ask you a quick question. Um, yeah. With, with when Barack Obama was a senator... You know, what, what was it that his campaign built on, you know, as his, his accomplishments in the Senate? I mean, what was it that he did while he was a senator that gave the credibility for his run in his party? Actually, when you look at his record, there wasn't much. He basically was voting present most of the time. He was essentially trying not to take a controversial position because I believe he was planning on running for, for president from the time he was elected senator. Um, so I would just view it as um, it was just a holding position. He was going to be president. That's what they wanted. He wanted a clean voting record. He wanted to be able to not be pinned down on anything. So just like you said, if you vote present, present then, then you, you're on record as not being on record for anything. Absolutely, and 
the media can create uh, your perception for for other for other uh, different populations of people for whatever they want you to them to believe. So well, that is, that's, that's pretty interesting, Mike. I appreciate you uh, answering that for me. All right, so we'll get back to right off the bat. Sure, Obama. I mean, and it looks looks ridiculous. He wins this Nobel Peace Peace Prize for essentially just not being George W. Bush. And within, I want to say, three months of him being in office, he's he's okay and forty thousand more troops to Afghanistan. So, I mean, it's you can just see the deep state. They they work on everybody, and that's what they they fatally right off the bat. You think you're going to be a change agent? This is what's going to happen. Okay. So he's forced to take on Hillary. She brings all her people in. I mean, you can just people need to to realize there's no love lost between the Obama camps and the Clinton camps. These are essentially two rival factions of the same party that have been forced to become allies from time to time. But make no mistake, I mean, it's Hillary's people who came up with the birth certificate, which leads us back to Donald Trump. And around the 2011, I would almost argue Trump kind of goes kamikaze and with a sitting president just comes out and starts questioning his citizenship, questioning the birth certificate. I mean, if you look into the birth certificate, it's not, it's not without reason to, to question it. It's pretty, there's a lot of questions behind it. Um, and it ends up forcing Obama's hand to come up with something um, that appears to be his actual birth certificate. So, if you're the sitting president and you have a a rich person who supposedly have the other party and they're bashing you, you would just say you can imagine the spying most likely started then on uh, Donald Trump. Why did he do it? I kind of I kind of wonder like who gave that bit of information to him or who told him to push that because it just seems strange from a business standpoint. I mean, it's a dangerous position to take. Just owning businesses, I mean, you're attacking a president that's potentially half the customers are not going to like what you're doing. So um, I don't know who pushed him to do it, but it would be interesting to see kind of uh, how that came about. But it kind of kind of did force his Obama's hand, and uh, I could see him kind of keeping that in the back of his mind and uh, looking for revenge when, say, 2016 comes along. So, all right, let's jump to 2016, the election. Um, and this is where the establishment Democrats, yet again, help with the restoration of America. And this is through um, the DNC leak of the emails. Uh, there's a lot of controversy behind this. Uh, Julian Assange and another hacker, Kim.com, have more than once, um, and some emphatically in, in the case, have said these were not a hack by Russians. This was a... Uh, DNC leak from a IT guy named Seth Rich put on a memory stick and handed over to WikiLeaks. And when they printed this, it just kind of confirms my theory here that it's the establishment Democrats. I mean, Bernie Sanders was going to win that nomination hands down. Um, it was without a doubt stolen from him. I'm pretty sure this has even been admitted in court by the DNC. And they stated, uh, well, we have the right to choose our own candidate. So that's just kind of how it went. The court agreed with them. So there's nothing the Bernie people can do. But uh, the election was absolutely stolen from him. And that's a lot of, I mean, you're talking about people who are donating their time. They're donating their essence, essentially. 
the the fact that you were these people, the DNC was just so willing to say, well, you know, basically f you, too bad, it, it's going to be Hillary. Um, you're going to definitely rub some people the wrong way, and I think that's what happened with with Seth the Rich. So um, that's the first one. That's the first thing. Establish the Democrats. They torpedo the better candidate. People for that candidate then come out and leak stuff, and uh, it's devastating. It shows. It established establishment Democrats for what they are. And the other thing that these emails show that is just hilarious is that they were using their media allies to actual, actually push Donald Trump. Yes, the DNC emails prove that Hillary Clinton wanted to run against Donald Trump. Uh, in fact, they even had a term for it. They called the Pied Piper strategy. They, they were most afraid of Jeb Bush because he had the biggest pot of money. They thought he had the most allies. He would be the most formidable opponent in their minds. That's how out of touch um, establishment Democrats are, which is allowing them to actually help the nation. So they torpedo the better candidate. I have, I have no doubt that uh, Bernie Sanders beats Hillary Clinton. He probably beats Donald Trump. And uh, the United States is in a world of hurt. But the Democrats, the establishment Democrats, are able to take out the better candidate. They're able to manipulate their media contacts to actually push Trump because they want Trump to run. If I had to guess, um, they already had the uh, Billy Bush, I'm going to grab you by the you-know-what tape, um, and it's their October surprise. They waited for October. Um, so I'm guessing that's another reason why they really want wanted Trump, because they could just drop them. And if it's anybody other than Teflon Don, they're going down. And somehow he... And, and you know, I think it's worth mentioning that Billy Bush, yes, he is indeed the first cousin of George W. Bush. They have the same grandpa, Prescott Bush. It's been... It's it's widely known that is a, he is a Bush family member. Um, and uh, if Bush and uh, the Bush and the Clintons also have deep ties to each other. Yeah, that's, I mean, that goes back to Arkansas and CIA plane flights in and out of South America. So, yeah, Mike, you know, I, I, I want to kind of get back to the Seth Rich issue uh, for a minute. What do you know about, I mean, what's out there that really drives home this idea that, that the leaks, the email leaks from the DNC, John Podesta, et cetera, that Seth Rich had his hand in it, and he was actually the the WikiLeaks insider inside the DNC, doing this, putting this down on a on a stick. I mean, what do we know about that? Well, the the assertion that it was a hack has been, I believe, debunked um, by William Binney, a former top official in the NSA. Um, they did the analysis. It was something like twenty two mega. I don't know. The way they said, way it turned out was. It had to have been done by a memory stick. The speed in which it was downloaded couldn't have done, couldn't have been an overseas hack from Russia anywhere. So um, it's in absolute for sure. It's it's a it's a uh, memory stick insider job leak download. It's been. I mean, look, Julian Assange came out like two days after it happened and said uh, there was a young IT for the DNC who was shot and murdered. And it's kind of and the guy's like, okay, well, what are you saying? Is that one of your sources? Um, and he's like, no, these, oh, what I'm saying is it's very dangerous for people who work with us. He's, he's just made the assertion, and, and there's this other uh, Well, he also, uh, he also uh, offered a reward for information leading to the arrest. 
Yeah. And I think that's really what made that uh that uh interviewer could take a pause and say, Well, if he's not you're why are you offering money to find out who, you know, killed this man if he's not working for you? And, you know, Julian Assange played it off, but that was definitely opened a lot of eyes right there. You know, what about the what about the situation surrounding the Seth Rich murder? I mean, you know, I've read that you know it was uh, closed by the D.C. police as a as a uh, robbery, but but the, like he had his wallet or something. Like, it, pretty much, it was not a robbery. A, robber, a robbery gone wrong, where nothing was stolen. It was a robbery without a robbery because he had everything. It was a thousand dollar watch he had on his wallet, his phone, everything was there. There was another weird kind of aspect to the story about how an FBI official or an FBI agent reported a gun being stolen in the general area at like 1, 7 a.m., but then the guard had been broken into at 2 a.m. The first cop on the scene is uh, actually connected to the DNC in one way or another, as is the doctor who is actually observing Seth Rich at the hospital. In fact, I think you want to say, I want to say he has Podesta connections. So yeah, it's you extremely... Can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, this is stranger than fiction. No, I mean, it just it has all the our hallmarks of a intelligence operation. A robbery gone wrong is a pretty good uh, excuse to come up with when you got to take out a uh, a leaker. So go into more, what was kind of the, you know, we all understood what the WikiLeaks exposed with what Seth Rich uh, exposed through the WikiLeaks, um, showing the deep connections between the DNC, basically that the Hillary Clinton camp was running the DNC, financing the DNC, also colluding with many top media officials, actually, who were, I mean, even as blatantly as saying, admitting that they were hacks and sending their reports to Podesta to proofread before they were publishing. Keep going on your, your, uh, your breakdown of after the Seth Rich murder, what was the next thing to drop? All right, so if, if we kind of go from there, I think what we need to look at here, though, as well is um, when you add in together the Seth Rich leak, his murder, and then on top of that, you have the legal server investigation where it's basically been proven that she was emailing people on an illegal server going over, you know, top secret papers that were openly going. And this is the other thing that the Clintons do, and they they are able to, and, and I think this is how they've stayed out of trouble, is they just entrap everybody in their criminality. So if you go down, if you try and take them down, you're going down too. You know what I mean? It's It's... It's actually ingenious. And you look at her illegal service. She was emailing Barack Obama from that illegal service. So he re- now he is also in, you know, when she does that, she has now implicated him as well. Well, you should have known it was illegal. You know, you emailed me too. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive when you actually think about it, what they've been able to get away with. Um, so you have the illegal server investigation. You have the DNC email leaks. And then you have Wiener's laptop. Remember that. The NYPD starts investigating um, Anthony Wiener, who's got a laptop with top secret files on it that came from Hillary Clinton. I mean, these were all, all of these things are happening during the election. These are fatally weakening her. So I think what we need to also establish here is that there are some pretty powerful allies on Trump's side, whether he knows it or not. Um, There are people 
helping him along the way um, with all this stuff, this damaging Clinton stuff. Because if none of this stuff comes out, if the WikiLeaks emails are released, we don't know. We don't actually know that they torpedoed Bernie. Yeah, we can suspect it, but I mean, we got it in writing. There's no, there's no denying it. I mean, we see the emails. And then the whole Pied Piper strategy, we see that they actually wanted Donald Trump. I mean, they literally, they begged for their own executioner. That's how you have to view it. That, that's what they wanted. Yeah, and after, well, they, and after all this they, stuff comes out, I mean, you never really heard them dispute the factual content of the leaked emails or the, the, uh, <clears throat> the authenticity of them. They just go off on a, what, you know, what they were stolen. Yeah, that anti, anti-Julian Assange rant. That's stolen stuff. You shouldn't be reading it. And can we drone this guy? Which, you know, WikiLeaks, out of, I believe it's like almost 10, 11 years now of them publishing documents, have not had to rescind one word, let alone one entire page of what they have printed. They are 100% on target with everything they do. And that's like, just like you were saying, Clem, uh, they've never been able to actually challenge that these documents are not authentic. They just do try to spin it into the, well, we should be outraged that they were stolen and not what the content is. Or if CNN tells you only we can show you what's in the emails because was, it's technically was illegal. Time, was this around the time when they started hacking this crazy notion that they were hacked by the, by the Russians, quote-unquote, or did this come later? No, I mean, that's right around the long time. They were, they were working this whole, we're going to get Trump uh, detached to Russians thing kind of kind of uh, towards the beginning of 2016. And I think they did it because um, Trump had just made statements in the campaign essentially, like, yeah, I mean, we're going to redo all the deals, so we're going to look at everybody, including Russia. Um, and they kind of viewed this as a, a tack they can use against them, even though they were themselves completely intertwined with Russians and numerous oligarchs. And, it's, and that's where you kind of got to you know, view the political genius of it because they make the accusation first when they're really guilty of it. And if you come around and be like, no, but you are, it, it's kind of like they've almost, you got to really, really prove it because they made it first. So it's, it's a political game. Uh, project your uh, crimes on your enemy. Yeah, exactly. All right, so I'll just get back to the, uh, uh, what is Trump? He goes against a, uh, a field of 16, in case, you know, including guys like Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush, and um, he beats, he miraculously gets the nomination. We've got to think about it. People were thought it was impossible for him to even get the Republican nomination. So he does that. He does one impossible. And then you've got to just know <laughs> Obama. You've got to just look at it from a personal pride perspective. You have a guy who literally in front of everybody, and he had a pretty powerful show, saying you aren't a citizen, saying you're this or that, and you have the most powerful spying apparatus at your behold. It would take a lot for somebody not to go into that, and obviously he couldn't resist. Well, and the guy whose entire campaign was basically to undo every single thing Obama did. I mean, if you couldn't have a, for Obama's sake, a worse kind of candidate coming up that's literally going to take your legacy apart piece by piece. So yeah, of course he was freaking out. Absolutely. And uh, so once Trump gets the nomination is when you really start uh, to see them pushing this 
uh, Russia conspiracy. And I think what they what they wanted to do after the the emails, they knew they were leaked. But they knew if they didn't allow the FBI to to actually look at the servers, which they didn't, and they only allowed a private company, which they hired to do it, they'd be able to kind of spin any answer or reason behind it they wanted. So I think what if Trump had lost, uh, what they would have done is framed him for dealing with Russians and hacking the DNC. They were going to make an example of anybody trying to push any kind of nationalist uh, view or kind of like, hey, maybe let's reduce some of these ridiculous globalist deals. They were going to absolutely destroy him, his properties, his family. Uh, he might be dead by now had he not win the presidency. And, and I kind of, uh, and I'm not even really exaggerating. So they start planting the, uh, the quote-unquote Russian agents around them. Um, you have Paul Manafort, who's been working with the Podesta group for better part of a decade involved in millions and millions of uh, business dealings with them. He volunteers to join Trump's campaign. It's speculated is he a plant himself. Who knows? We know he's connected to Podesta. We know that Mueller eventually uh, charges Manafort, and we know that the Podesta lobbying group is completely shut down and non-existent anymore. I don't know what that tells you, um, but that's just one of the agents planted around him, or potential agents. The second one is... Uh, Carter Page, this is a guy that the Republicans made a big deal about in the, in the memo because if this guy, Carter Page, who they used to get the FISA, uh, FISA warrants on, if he's such a dangerous Russian agent, why has he done maybe 100 interviews in the last calendar year? The guy's not in jail. There's, he's not, an F, he's not a uh, Russian agent. In fact, he's an FBI employee at one point who helped put Russian secret agents or spies away into jail. He's constantly portrayed as dumb, uh, kind of an inept. Even the Russians were, they got the, uh, the wire intercepts and they were saying this guy's an idiot. Um, but let's be serious. He's... He may just be playing everybody. This guy's a graduated top 10% of the Naval Academy. Um, he's put foreign agents in prison. So uh, maybe not as dumb as people think. So they get the FISA warrant on him, but they don't do that. They don't use Carter Page um, until Paul Manafort is, uh, resigns from the Trump campaign in the middle of August. That's when they use Carter Page. Was he the insurance policy? Who knows? Um, that were alluded to in the Strzok emails. He may have been, so then they used Carter Page uh, to get the FISA warrant. They're, they're able to now uh, retroactively go back. So if he happened to CC Don Trump Jr. on an email, now they can investigate Donald Trump Jr. and anybody Donald Trump Jr. emails, now they can investigate them. So when they say, oh, yeah, there wasn't a, uh, a warrant, to FISA to spy on Trump. No, it's people around him, and then FISA gives them the ability to spy on Trump. So it's a semantic game, but they know what they did. And a bunch of them admitted to it already. So, well, and you, you know, Mike, I have heard some uh, pretty good analysts, you know, talking about this, saying that the Carter Page issue was really, you know, secondary and that there was, in fact, already uh, viewing of NSA documentation, because we all understand, right, that the NSA keeps a running, essentially, catalog of every every conversation that's being spoken electronically, whether it's email or text or uh, phone or cell phone, whatever. And that <clears throat> I've heard some say that, in fact, during the campaign, prior to the Car uh, Carter Page issue, that 
some in Barack Obama's administration, possibly even himself, was in fact going back and viewing some of this information. So they were already spying on Trump uh, by looking at these uh, records that the NSA had. But they and and that's part of the part of the motivation here to use Carter Page because now they got to they've got to justify having gone back and looked at this stuff. Uh, what do you say about that? Actually, you bring up a good point um, that I kind of like to expand on. What it comes down to is, uh, you're right. They were actually, and the, the records proved it, um, they were, there was an unprecedented number of un- unmaskings. So like you said, NSA collects everything. What they were finding out that uh, NSA Mike Rogers, Admiral Mike Rogers finds out, there's a whole bunch of requests to unmask all these phone calls and people who are on these phone calls without a warrant, without a FISA warrant. So it's technically illegal. Mike Rogers goes to the FISA court on April 16th, and they shut it down. They shut down all this uh, legal masking. Now, this, this, the timing's important because Paul Manafort, as soon as that kind of illegal way of spying on Trump is shut down by Admiral Mike Rogers, and he's still at the NSA right now, he shuts it down. He goes to the court. They get it shut down. Immediately after that, Paul Manafort is put on Trump's campaign who has been under investigation for years with his Ukrainian connections. So then, and then you got to fast forward. Paul Manafort then gets fired because word gets to Trump that he's under investigation for certain things. And that's immediately, that's in the middle of August, immediately the day later, that's when they get the Carter page. So you can see how they've used um, certain people at certain points. Once it was shut down, once the illegal uh, Avenue was shut down by Mike Rogers in the middle of April 2016. They had to go quote unquote legal, which then leaves a paper trail, which it brings them to the point where they could then incriminate themselves, and that's where we're at now. So, well, it's funny because April 10th was the interview Obama gave, basically, you know, full stop, period. We were not, I was not involved in you know, talking to any FBI official about any investigation or any DOJ, I mean, he straight up said it April 10th that he was not involved in any of these investigations. And we now realized that with the, with the recent Strzok uh, page emails that POTUS was asking about everything that they were involved with. Yeah, that's right. So I guess I'll just, you know, kind of sum it all up here, how we need to thank the establishment Democrats they helped kill the Bernie Sanders candidacy, which I believe would have defeated Donald Trump. They then had the Pied Piper strategy of pushing Donald Trump through their media allies, which, again, they asked for their own execution. Um, Gave them a billion dollars of free advertising, they said. That's right. A billion dollars. Um, they do their illegal spying, so this is going to then incriminate them in the future, and the unthinkable happens. And Donald Trump wins. Um, and that's where we're at. I think people just need to kind of, every once in a while, kind of sit back, get the 30,000 foot view of where we're at. Um, we're in a much better position than we ever could have been. And um, it, things aren't as bad as they seem. Well, Mike, I, I got another question for you. That, and I, and you can help me understand this or help me clarify in my mind, because there's been just, you know, this whole Russia, Russia thing has just been you know, a joke, uh, and a sick joke at that. Uh, and it was pretty obvious to a lot of people, I think, early on, 
you know, that this was for, I mean, without getting into their motivations, that this was an establishment media, Democrat, National Committee, Clinton, Podesta, you know, they cooked this whole thing up. And I remember something about Donald Trump tweeting out maybe, oh, look, you know, you know, how crazy is this? They're, they're wiretapping, you know, Trump Tower. And then he moved his, he moved his operation from Trump Tower then, I guess, to Mar-a-Lago, you know, to his property down there. When did that happen in this timeline? And, and, and I can't remember who it was, but apparently somebody came to visit Trump. And it was like the next day he moved everything. How, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that was uh, roughly two weeks after his election. Um, I believe the date's November 16th. He is visited by Admiral Mike Rogers of the NSA. Oh, the same guy informs, that the same guy that went to the yeah, okay. The same guy who I mean, this kind of the <laughs> this is kind of the guy who blew the entire operation for the Obamas. Um, no doubt about it, because he stopped the illegal spying at the FISA court in April, which then made them have a paper trail of these FISA warrants, of them getting denied, and then having them to get the dossier to kind of, I mean, it really, he really ruined it for them, because they were just unmasking everybody, and Obama was going to do an, a, an a executive order at the end like he did anyways to make it all legal, you know, in past tense, but Mike Rogers stops it, forces them to go the quote-unquote legal route, leaving the paper trail. Um, but yeah, he went there November 16th and kind of informed Trump what was actually going on. Trump immediately moved, I think he moved to a property on the, it's on the East Coast. It wasn't Florida. It was somewhere, um, I believe. In, in Virginia. Virginia, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, either way, he moved out the day after that. And then he gets, you know, he's, that's why he's tweeting. They spied on me, got nothing, because they did spy on him for months and didn't get any actual collusion, which is why we're in this ridiculous mess right now, because they're trying to make something up. And then, and then you have the, the Susan Rice email to herself at, on, like, the last day of uh, the Obama administration, the day before the, the inauguration. What do you think that was all about? You know, I've heard a couple different theories. I can't understand why she would have sent that email because now it puts Comey in jeopardy of, of uh, perjury because of what he testified before Congress. Is it a cover your ass email for her because she's going to be like, Hey, I was just kind of there for this, but this is what was happened. I mean, who puts in quotes by the book? Isn't everything supposed to be done by the book? Why do you have to specify that it is by the book? That almost seems like you guys were doing stuff uh, other than by the book up until that point. That's extremely, um, extremely fishy and kind of just, I don't know, almost puts a spotlight on you and maybe you should have just kept your mouth shut or not emailed yourself. Well, in my understanding of the email, too, was that the meeting that she described in the email, uh, Obama and his cabinet members at that level, whoever was present, and I don't know who was, but that part of the conversation at least was they were debating how much information the incoming president was going to get from the FBI and if they should give it to him and if there were ways in which they could conceal this information. And the thing that I got out of that was, you know, since when does the FBI not fall under the authority of the president as if this is a new fourth branch, co-equal branch of government? Can you can you speak to that at all? Well, I think we also should point out exactly what this email stated, and I'll read it to you. It's quoted as saying, President Obama began the conversation by stressing his continued commitment to ensuring that every aspect of this issue is handled by the intelligence and law enforcement communities, quote, by the book. The president stressed that he is not asking about 
initiating or instructing anything from a law enforcement perspective. He reiterated that our law enforcement team needs to proceed as normally would by the book. Damn, that's <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I can't. And she, the bizarre thing is she sent it after Trump was elected. And as we know, Obama's records are sealed for another five years because they're going to go into his library. So this was kind of outside of that, outside of that purview. So I don't know. It's a bizarre story, um, and it almost looks like she's kind of, kind of put a spotlight, or maybe she should have not put a spotlight. So we're going to see how this turns out. Okay. So that so the conversation then uh, the part about what you know, what the FBI is or isn't going to make available. That wasn't actually in her email. Right. Say that again, Clem. So the, the part where, the, you know, what that meeting was about and the conversation within that meeting being about how much information the FBI and the outgoing administration was going to make available to the incoming administration, that wasn't necessarily covered specifically by her email. Is that correct? Right. They're just using that as the excuse of why they sent it. Oh, because, you know, Mike Flynn was under investigation for maybe forgetting an exact line, even though James Comey later admits uh, under oath that the two FBI agents who investigated him said they didn't think he was lying. So, I mean, this is what I think is going to end up eventually you'll be finding out is Andy McCabe changed these 302 forms um, of Peter Strzok and Bill Priestap to say that Michael Flynn lied so then they could get this whole right off the bat in the Trump administration, uh, kind of put him on his heels, you know, put an investigation that's been going on to this day. So, Well, you said earlier in the conversation that, you know, Trump was getting some help from some pretty powerful people, and it seems pretty clear to me that Admiral Rogers may have been one of them. Absolutely, um, yeah. and I would just say, yeah, and I'm sure there's a... Uh, a sort of grouping around Michael Admiral Michael Rogers that has been kind of helping behind this. This isn't a surprise. Trump has his own um, security detail. It's not just the Secret Service. I mean, these are, Secret Service are the ones who left a laptop filled with all the Trump building uh, plans in an unlocked car, and what do you know? It got stolen. So yeah, and Trump's wasn't there had, recently a report in the in the in the establishment media? A complex about uh, one of a recent, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I just bounce this off of you here. In a recent uh, motorcade, there was a uh, one of the motorcade drivers, somebody driving around. I, I don't know if it was reporters or, or White House staffers, and some it's kind part of, of the he was part of the media entourage that was following. And this guy ends up leaving a gun in one of the one of the vehicles. How I mean, how often is this like something that happens? Um, I don't think it's happened. I mean, you got to remember, though, even with Obama, some guy ran through the front door with his knife in his hand. So, I mean, this is, uh, and he got up three stairs. I mean, what the, and then Obama also had, uh, there were pot shots taken at the White House through multiple bullet holes. I mean, this is, look, this is, you know, you know, one could argue this is just the deep state tactics to keep every president on his heels uh, and constantly in a state of panic. But it seems like Trump's one of the few that is able to, I don't know, just seem like Teflon, Teflon just seems like it doesn't stick. Well, you can definitely look at with the kind of, People that have been given intel have been dropping, like Admiral Reich Rogers. Military intelligence is obviously backing Trump to the hilt 
with everything that's going on. He seems like, uh, you know, part of reason why the generals are all surrounding him. The military is looking after Trump because, uh, you know, if you look at the reports of what Dr. Jerome Corsi said about uh, the military was at a point talking about actually throwing a coup um, during Obama's tenure because of the treason and everything they were witnessing. But they knew the best way to go about it was to do it through legal way, the legal channels, actually getting a president elected that would actually turn the tide on these people. And uh, I think that's why Trump has survived and is continuing to survive and win the way he's been winning because of that military backing. Um, great stuff, Mike. A very eye-opening uh, narrative you've gave us. Anything you want to close out with, Clem, before we end? That was uh, some pretty interesting stuff, Mike, and I hope you'll you'll keep us updated on how this uh, story develops. Because going forward, I think that if the assumption that there are some powerful friends in the shadows helping Trump and that they are inevitably exposing this stuff, it seems to me we're creeping a lot closer towards a time when, as I said at the beginning, that this information is not going to be, uh, they're not going to be able to keep it quiet. It's going to be so toxic to the to the establishment media complex, the Democrats, the Obama legacy, et cetera. I mean, this is some pretty powerful stuff. You know, probably the biggest scandal in modern American political history, and it seems like it's got some momentum and that there's just so much going on around it. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be more. Appreciate that report, Mike. Yeah, no problem. It's a big web to untangle, and it's going to take time for the right people to do the right thing. So we'll we'll keep the perspective and looking at it. Thanks, guys. Great. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Clem. Another great episode of Lib Slayers is coming to an end. We'd like to thank everyone for listening, and I'll end tonight with a quote. As always, people demand freedom of speech as a compensation for the th- freedom of thought which they seldom use. God bless you and God bless America.